This is More Better Days, the podcast where I teach people with chronic illness how to use thought work and coaching to radically improve their quality of life. If you're tired of chronic symptoms dominating your life and you want to learn how to get unstuck and actually start to thrive, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Misha Delaney, certified life coach and mind-body syndrome practitioner. I'll show you how to make your mind your most powerful asset in your healing journey. It's time to break through the limitations and build a vibrant, abundant, and joyful life alongside chronic illness. Are you ready? I know I am. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode two of More Better Days. I'm Misha, and I am really glad that you are listening today because we are really going to dive in, all right? I want to talk to you about what it means to start taking responsibility for the role that you play in your own suffering and how mind-body resilience work is an act of love and compassion towards ourselves. We're going to take a look at what victim mentality is and try to destigmatize it a little bit. Now, I have thought long and hard about how I wanted to approach today's topic, and I decided that the best way that I can do it is by sharing my own story about one of the most incredibly challenging times in my journey, both with chronic illness and just in life in general. And before I tell that story, I want you to know that most of the topics we're going to explore on this show, personal growth, developing mind-body resilience, healing, shifting our perspectives, many of these topics beg for nuance. And what I mean by that is that none of this is black and white, and all of it is for you to choose what you want to take and what you want to leave. Some of these topics are going to be challenging. I think that today's topic is challenging. And I wondered if maybe it was too soon in the show to really like dive into the nitty gritty, but I'm going to lean into that hesitation of mine around coming on too strong. And I'm going to still dive in with you because frankly, I trust you. I trust that you will believe me when I say that the things that I have to say on the show are always coming from a foundation of compassion, empathy, and love. None of this work is about blaming or shaming. None of it is to be used as a weapon towards ourselves or others in their healing journey. Instead, this is all about self-awareness, curiosity, and resilience in the face of adversity. Getting curious about difficult topics is how we open the door to truly transformative healing and growth. Now, before we dive in, I want to let you know that the topic of suicide and suicidal ideation comes up in this episode. So this is your trigger warning if you need it. We don't dive too deep into the details about it or have an explicit conversation on the topic. It's more of an acknowledgement of its existence and how it played a role in my journey. And it felt important to give you that little heads up before we go any further. And so with that, I want to tell you my experience of living through the first year of the pandemic as a person with chronic illness and how that impacted my life and catalyzed a new level of self-awareness and healing. 
Now, in the months before the pandemic hit, I was still living in that sort of in-between phase that I mentioned in the last episode where I had stopped making progress with chronic illness and I was just kind of in this holding pattern of being just well enough to manage basic life stuff um, but still really struggling with daily chronic symptoms kind of ruling my life. I was in maintenance mode just in general and I was trying so hard just like gripping on to trying to maintain my current status quo and not cause a flare. And part of that sort of being in maintenance mode is that I wasn't being proactive with my mental health or emotional well-being. Now, when shutdowns began in the U.S., uh, my living situation, it was just me and my pup, Oliver, in my house. My roommate had moved out in January, and I immediately went into full quarantine mode because I was terrified. And a lot of that fear was based on my knowledge of just how much damage an infectious disease could do in my life. And I wasn't taking any risk with COVID. I had a compromised immune system and I was prepared to do whatever I needed to do to avoid contracting the virus. And really it was easy to slip into extreme isolation during the shutdowns because I had experienced it before when I was in the worst phases of Lyme. Being homebound was not an alien thing to me. So the only time that I left the house was to walk Oliver. Any necessities like groceries and supplies that I needed, I would order them online or friends would drop them off at my front door and leave before I went to grab them. And living on my own at this time was kind of like a blessing and a curse. The upside was that I was able to make distancing and health decisions without having to compromise in any way with a roommate or a partner and their views on how they wanted to handle the situation. But the downside was that I was completely isolated. I mean, truly, thank God for Oliver. Um, He was my saving grace. I wanted to create a social pod, but the truth is that I was so hyper vigilant about COVID precautions that there wasn't anybody in my circle that I felt comfortable creating a pod with, you know, not even my mom, who was also high risk. Now, when I look back in retrospect, it's not like my friends and loved ones were taking like gross risk at this time, but in my mind, The fear of going through an experience like I had had with Lyme again, that fear was so strong that I just could not get myself into a mind space where I felt comfortable creating a social pod. And when I was in this this mind space, I would often say to people to kind of explain my hypervigilant actions and extreme isolation, I would say, I've had my life ruined by one infectious disease, and I am not interested in that happening again. And that was sort of the driving thought behind all of my actions pretty much in the entire first year of the pandemic. So I stayed in this state of high fear and hypervigilance for over a year. To give you an example, for Thanksgiving and Christmas, I met my mom in a parking lot between our two houses where we exchanged food that we had prepared for each other. And then I would go home and eat it by myself. And I, the, 
the loneliness and the desire for community, it was overwhelming. I went a year without any physical contact with another person, no hugs, nothing. Even just saying it now, um, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. And as more information came out about how COVID spread and how it didn't spread and access to medical grade masks became available, when the weather was okay, I started to feel comfortable meeting friends at the park or on my deck and we would sit more than six feet away from each other while masked and kind of chat for a while. But that was the extent of my in-person contact with people and it was kind of few and far between. And during all of this, my Lyme symptoms backslid. It was like I was living in a constant flare, which isn't surprising at all. I was experiencing extreme stress and depression, just like most people at that time. And the pain and fatigue and brain fog related to my Lyme and my stress, it just consumed me. But it wasn't really until the announcement about the COVID vaccine came out that I actually hit my lowest low. And that might sound a little counterintuitive, and this is why. Everyone in my circle was so excited and full of hope about the vaccine and how it could improve living with the pandemic. But for me, I had not had a vaccine for anything, any type of vaccine in over five years and that's because of my compromised immune system. And this is a really common approach for people with living with Lyme and other conditions that compromise their immune system. This approach of opting out of vaccination because of the way that it stimulates an already dysfunctioning immune system and it just opens a door to the potential of a Lyme relapse. And so when the COVID vaccines were first announced, I spoke with my Lyme specialist and he recommended um, not even thinking about it until, you know, three, six months had passed and people, the common public had started to become vaccinated and there would be data about how people in general were responding to it outside of trials, but especially how people with compromised immune systems were responding to it. And when I look back on that, I do, I think that was a smart, cautious move on behalf of my Lyme specialist. And, you know, I followed that. But at the time, this news that I just needed to not get vaccinated, this news was devastating to me. Whatever thread of hope I had been kind of like holding on to to prop myself up during the pandemic was just gone and totally dissolved. And um, it was kind of like the final straw I slipped into a really deep depression. I just felt like Lyme was ruining my life all over again and that whatever progress I had made with the disease, it just didn't matter because I was marked by this disease and the limitations that it places on me for life. That's the mindset I was in. And my experience with the pandemic was all the evidence that I needed that being a person with this disease was inherently tragic and insurmountable. I was walking through life as a high-risk 
person, not just in the pandemic, but in general, I had to be careful and I would always be limited and marked by the disease. And I really struggled with intrusive thoughts, including suicidal ideation in the form of no longer wanting to exist. And that was really scary. I felt hopeless and helpless. I genuinely could not imagine a future that looked different than the reality that I was in in that moment, which is me alone in my house for eternity. I couldn't imagine how anything could improve. Between the Lyme and the pandemic, the world just felt stacked against me, and I I just couldn't see outside of that at the time. But somewhere deep inside of me, there was still that inherent human animal desire to survive. And I was able to access that. So once I really realized what was going on, the first thing that I did was that I told a few loved and trusted people in my life exactly what was going on. And I asked for help and support. I knew if I kept this all to myself, that it would only get worse. And um, that was really scary to me. And then I began therapy and EMDR therapy as well. And through asking for help and doing therapy, the cloud of darkness started to lift just a bit. And I had just enough energy and courage to let a few more people in on my struggles and ask them for help too. And over time, I was able to access a little bit of hope and a little bit of joy at times. And I learned tools to interrupt intrusive thoughts when they started sort of taking over my mind. And I got curious about what parts of my life I did have control over. And I started to change some things. I found ways to get out of the house and be with people that still felt COVID safe to me. I let go of some of my hypervigilance while still caring for my health. And I started to build a foundation to get out of that really, really dark place. Now, I'm, I honestly, I don't know how long this phase lasted, but what I can tell you is that asking for help is always the first step. And if any of this sounds familiar to you and you are struggling with suicidal ideation, I want you to call the Suicide Helpline right now by calling or texting 988 so that you can get resources and support. 988 was introduced as a shorter version of the full phone number this July 2022. And I think that's a really wonderful thing because it makes access to resources and support even easier. So remember that number for yourself and for your loved ones. There is no shame in suicidal ideation, my love. And I hope that by telling my story, it will help a little bit to destigmatize it. Ooh, okay. That's some that's some heavy shit. Thank you for listening. And also, at this point, you might be wondering why I chose to share this story with you now and how it connects to the bigger picture of mind-body resilience work and this show and how it can help you on your chronic illness journey. This story is about that catalyst experience that made me realize that I need to find my empowerment and that I could not afford to put it off 
any longer. And ultimately, it led me to the rewarding and full life that I live today. And it gives me an opportunity to talk to you about what a victim mentality can look like if it gets ignored, resisted, and goes unchecked. I also think that this story is a good example that there isn't a silver bullet for healing and growth. You've really got to approach it in a holistic way. I started with the basics. I asked for help from my community. I got therapy and I created a new baseline for myself. And when I was out of that depressive state and was out of extreme survival mode, I started to find other resources and tools too. Resources that helped me address both my mental health and the Lyme because I could see how they were linked and how my emotions were influencing my symptoms. And it just so happens that that's around the time that I discovered thought work, coaching, and brain training. So I decided to take a mind-body healing course, and I started to get curious about what role I was playing in my own suffering. And it took time, but through self-coaching and mindfulness, I was able to see in a loving way that I had unknowingly slipped into a victim mindset. I realized I had to intentionally change my perspective away from a victim mentality, and this was a huge realization. And at first, I resisted it. I felt defensive. It didn't just like have the realization and snap my fingers and make it go away. It took time. It wasn't linear, but I built my toolbox of skills and resources. And as I peeled back those layers and I stepped out of a victim mentality and into a growth mindset, I started to have more better days. And I started to learn what thriving actually felt like. But all of it began with taking a really honest look at how I was telling the story of my life to myself and others. And more likely than not, my dear listener, you have also experienced a victim mindset in relationship to your chronic illness and how it's impacted your life. And you might be in that mindset right now. So I want to dive into victim mentality a little bit more because there's some really great stuff here. A victim mentality is when you feel helpless in the face of challenges when you feel like the world is happening to you and that you have no control over the outcomes in your life. So when a victim mentality takes hold, you really struggle to separate the difference between circumstances, your thoughts, your emotions, and outcomes in your life. They all just kind of get mushed up together and you feel like they're just happening to you and there is very little or no sense of agency or choice. And I think this is a good moment to recognize that victim mentality can be a loaded term and concept. It has definitely made an appearance in pop psych and toxic positivity on social media. And I've seen this concept sort of used as like a weapon towards people who are suffering, like as a way to blame or dismiss someone that's in pain and struggling to make sense of challenging experiences or blame someone who's struggling to access their empowerment, like this sort of, oh, well, she just has a victim mentality as if it's a penchant for drama or something that somebody would actively choose for themselves. And I think that's really unfortunate 
that conversations about victim mentality are thrown around in a way because it really detracts from how much healing can happen when you can lovingly identify victim mentality in yourself and work to shift it. Now, the reason why I'm doing an episode on this topic is not because I think it's inherently bad. There doesn't have to be a moral lens on this topic. If you're in this mind space, it's not because you're a bad person or a lazy person or a selfish person or anything else. It just means that something happened and it happens often in the human experience. I would be willing to wager that every human has experienced victim mentality by the time they've reached adulthood. This is part of the human experience, struggling with making sense of concepts like autonomy, fate, fairness, self-determinism, all of those things relate back to victim mentality. So I'm not here to tell you that you are doing it all wrong and you have to stop it right now. But I do think that victim mentality is a major roadblock when you're trying to figure out how to thrive. And I think it's beneficial to be able to identify it in yourself sooner than later and begin working on letting it go. When I look back on my years of experience with chronic illness, there are different times in the journey that this victim mindset has come about. And the story that I just told you about my life in the first year of the pandemic is the most extreme example that I can give of when I was unable to access my self-empowerment. But victim mentality can be way less obvious and much more sneaky and difficult to detect. So I want to give you some examples of how it can show up with chronic illness in more subtle ways. So you want to look out for thoughts like, why me? Why would this disease happen to me? Or this is not what I thought my life would look like and it's not fair. Or my body is a prison. My body has betrayed me. Or it's not fair that that person over there is healthy and gets to do whatever they want each day and I don't. A good signpost of being in a victim mind space is if you find yourself using the word fair or not fair and thinking about the concept of fairness in life, or if you are comparing yourself and your life to other people in their lives and thinking that they have good fortune and you do not. Another signpost of victim mentality is when you find yourself repeating how bad your symptoms are often, both to yourself and to others. You're giving it a lot of space in your brain thinking about how bad it is. Or if you are often telling the story of how your chronic illness first began, your chronic pain first began, and how it happened to you. These thoughts and actions reinforce to your brain that your symptoms are dangerous and that maintains a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And this is why turning down the volume on chronic symptoms requires a sense of agency and empowerment by taking responsibility for the role that you play in your own experience. And victim mentality is likely not showing up all day, every day in your life. But if your mind is defaulting to those kinds of thoughts, if they're running in the background on a regular basis, then it's definitely influencing your quality of life and you may not have even realized it yet. 
So consider this episode your invitation to explore what role your mindset, emotions, and worldview are playing in your chronic illness. I want to share my favorite quote by Lisa Feldman Barrett, a world-renowned psychologist and neuroscientist and author of the book, How Emotions Are Made. Lisa says, sometimes we are responsible for something, not because we are to blame, but because we're the only ones who can change it. And the first step is awareness, taking a step back and looking at the thoughts that are running in the background. The stories you're telling yourself about your chronic illness and about your life, we can't let something go until we see it first. And that's why awareness is so important. So with this in mind, this week, I want to invite you to take the role of the watcher. Taking on the role of the watcher is about becoming an observer where you witness the thoughts and feelings that you're having from a loving and non-judgmental space. I want you to take a step back and notice some of your thoughts and emotions on chronic illness or just life in general that might fall under this umbrella of victim mentality. Thoughts that relate to fairness and unfairness or a lack of personal control or helplessness about circumstances in your life. If you're comfortable, you can write down your observations. Just try to notice. Try not to judge them or fight them or change these thoughts. Just watch, be curious, acknowledge that this is where you're at right now and that that is okay. And also, this doesn't have to be like a big exercise where you sit down and journal for an hour. It might be nice to, you know, try that once to like really sit down and just contemplate for a moment, but it's also something that you can do for just like 30 seconds a few times in your day. When you notice a victim mentality thought come up, just pause, name it for what it is, acknowledge it, and maybe say something to yourself like, huh, that's interesting, noted, and then just move on in your day. That's what awareness looks like. Now, you might be anxious to know what the next step is already and to really power through this and quickly replace victim mentality thoughts with new thoughts that you like better. But for now, I want to invite you to really challenge yourself to stay with this powerful act of self-awareness and acceptance of your current mind space. Trying to bypass this step and skip over it and trying to just dive straight into replacing your mindset with something that's more beneficial, that can actually backfire and prevent real progress that sticks over time. Self-awareness might feel passive, but it's actually a very active thing. Developing self-awareness is a skill, an essential skill. And wherever you are in your journey, it's going to serve as the foundation for all of your mind-body resilience work. So try out that exercise, play with it a little bit, and remember to approach it with as much non-judgment, curiosity, and love as you can. Okay, my friend, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and also for being open to exploring a challenging topic. 
In the next episode, I'm going to tell you how to introduce a growth mindset by training your brain to make it your new default. You'll get specific, actionable steps that will help you become a growth mindset superhero. What you'll learn is simple but incredibly effective, and you don't want to miss it. Until then, thank you for listening, and I hope that today is one of the better days. All right, my friend, that's everything I've got for you today, but I do have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed this show, please help me on my mission of bringing more empowerment and agency into the lives of people with chronic illness by helping me get the word out. All you need to do is hit that follow button and write a review of the podcast. It only takes a moment, but your action will have a ripple effect in spreading the word to people who are yet to discover more better days. And also don't forget to share today's episode with a friend too. And if you're ready to take action towards getting unstuck and starting to thrive, go to morebetterdayspodcast.com. There you'll find free resources on how to get started. And you can also follow me on Instagram at at Misha Delaney for inspiration and approachable tips that you can use on the daily to develop your mind-body resilience. You can find links to everything I just mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope today is one of the better days.